Welcome to Ag Future, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the challenges and opportunities facing the global food supply chain and speak with experts working to support a planet of plenty. In January 2016, a huge column of black smoke rose over Lexington, Kentucky. It could be seen as far away as Louisville, 70 miles to the west. A massive fire had broken out at Bluegrass Stockyard's main Lexington facility, devastating the largest individual cattle market in Kentucky. Now, to put it in perspective, Bluegrass Stockyard's is to cattle what Keeneland is to thoroughbreds. And it's been five years since the fire, and much has happened in that time. Joining us from Lexington to talk about it is Bluegrass Stockyard CEO Jim Akers. Thanks for joining us, Jim. Uh, glad to be with you. So you all had a new 232,000-square-foot facility up and running on Ironworks Pike. It's near the Kentucky Horse Park outside of Lexington. Just a year and a half after the fire, how did you manage to do business during that time before you could reopen? Well, we were very fortunate in our, our structure in that we have two other facilities that are located uh, within 35 miles of Lexington here. And uh, we very quickly, in fact, by Monday morning uh, after the fire that, that actually happened on Saturday, we, we had added uh, sale dates at our Richmond and Mount Sterling locations and basically moved. We moved our Monday sale to Mount Sterling, our Tuesday sale to Richmond. We uh, relocated some of our key employees and uh, customers listened to us, uh, listened to our field people, and we picked right up and went on. Granted, customers had to travel a little farther, and it was certainly a little more logistical uh, issues for us. But uh, you know, we, it, it helped us maintain our maintain our business and our customer base. Was uh, the new location on Ironworks Pike was that already on your radar, or did you have to scramble in the aftermath of that fire to find a new spot? Well. We we actually already owned the property mm-hmm. uh, approximately uh, 10, 15 years prior to the fire. There was an effort to move the stockyard out of downtown Lexington, and this was one of the uh, potential locations for that. So we didn't have to acquire property, but there also were no real plans in place for the construction either. I think we should uh, emphasize for our listeners that it's been determined that the fire was an accident at uh, at the old facility, and that facility had been there for a lot of years and, and was wood, correct? Yes, yes, predominantly, yes. Right. So now, five years later, uh, Bluegrass Stockyards is facing another challenge, the COVID-19 pandemic. Back in March, just as we were beginning to comprehend what a pandemic meant the industry saw a rapid drop in the value of an animal and at a critical time for local producers. Uh, tell us what that period was like for the uh, stockyard business. Well, it was a very complicated time from from uh, early April uh, on up through really middle part of the year where you, you had multiple factors at play, just the comfort level of people coming out to do business mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, coming into a facility, uh, you know, that comfort level was, was pretty shaky. The market itself was extremely volatile. You know, we, we saw exorbitant prices at the, at the grocery store, yet just a horrible market for the animals themselves on the farmer's side. And so it really caused a lot of people to hold cattle uh, much, much longer than they, they would have. Um, our volume through the months of April, May, and June were, were considerably below a normal year. We were already we're in a pretty significant liquidation phase in the cattle industry right now anyway, so, so we were already hurting for numbers. 
compounded by the fact that people were hanging on to him, hoping that the market was going to get better. It was a, it was a pretty tough, pretty tough stretch. Well, you mentioned that people were kind of reluctant to, to gather, uh, and now it's been many months since then. Has that kind of sorted itself out as people have become accustomed to masking and all that? Yeah, our our level of compliance is uh, far greater today than it was uh, when we first started. Uh, we put a lot of measures in place, uh, literally right out of the gate, uh, because we were told by Department of Agriculture and others that you know we have to continue to operate. We're the only source of ready cash that a lot of these farmers have got, so we we had to try to keep running, and. Uh, we started out by limiting the number of people that, that were allowed inside the sales arena. We actually had to post people at the doors to count heads in and heads out and, and try to keep that number down uh, very low. And, and it was predominantly just buyers at, at that point. Uh, we would let consigners in one or two at a time to watch their cattle sell. So it was, it was a, a really a burden. As we've moved along and understand a little more about social distancing, masking, and all those kinds of things, we, you know, we provide masks at the door to all our customers uh, if they need them. We've actually eliminated about two-thirds, well, more than two-thirds, almost three-fourths of our seating in the arena by blocking off those seats and forcing social distancing. You know, people are, for the most part, fairly compliant with that. Um, it, it's gotten better as we've gone along, certainly. Mm-hmm. Well, you literally had opportunity rise out of the ashes uh, in that this was an opportunity uh, out on Ironworks Pike to start from scratch to to build an entirely new facility. And I, I'm just wondering how it differs from the original site. It might seem obvious, but uh, maybe you can tell <laughs> us more. Well, I, you know, let's talk about the stockyard operation first, you know, having an opportunity to start from scratch with a clean slate and design a facility uh, just like you'd like to have it uh, was was uh, something that was pretty special. And so obviously, the, you know, this the stockyard facility itself is far more efficient, uh, takes fewer people to operate. The movement of the cattle is is quicker, safer, uh, and easier than it, than it was in the old facility. Our, our uh, uh, ability to address workplace safety issues, cattle safety issues have certainly been far, far better in the new facility than, than we could ever do in the old one. Now, relative to the rest of the operation out here, you know, some, we've got a uh, what we call the Bluegrass Regional Marketplace that's kind of the front end of the operation, the front building you come into on your way to the sales arena that includes uh, retail partners, a, a full-scale restaurant, a classroom with a certified teacher, uh, museum content, and uh, we've got about uh, 15 to 20 other businesses that are located out here with us that are all agriculturally related, but uh, really create a, an interesting mix of uh, goods and services uh, that, that are all in one place. So who came up with that idea to, to, to integrate retail and, and events as well, correct? Oh, you bet. You bet. Events are a big part of what we do, Not uh, meetings of all sizes, as well as several events that we put on ourselves throughout the year to educate the public, uh, just create rec- recreational opportunities, and also to drive business to you know, to these partners that we've got out here. Uh, you know, it was born out of a dream of our, the chairman of our board, Gene Barber, he he talked for years and years and years about having kind of a one-stop shop for farmers mm-hmm. where, you know, they could source their, their inputs 
buy their insurance, do their banking, uh, all of those kind of things all in one location. As we got into this, the, the realities of the zoning and the type of building we could put up uh, really didn't allow us to, to exactly bring his dream to flourishing. But out of that came this you know, big, large building with, with uh, multiple partners in, in many, many different aspects of the, of the agricultural industry. Well, uh, Jim, some in the industry have been predicting that the influx of government money from pandemic-related programs such as coronavirus food assistance, uh, the Paycheck Protection, the PPP, and uh, market facilitation, programs like those, will have a lasting negative effect. Uh, do you agree with that? Well, you know, I, I don't know that I don't know about a lasting negative. Farmers are farmers. You put dollars in their hands, they're going to reinvest them, and they've done that with the CFAP money and and the other monies that have been out there. Uh, we we've seen our market for high quality uh, replacement animals uh, has certainly been really really good here through the latter part of 2020 and into the early part of 2021, and I think that's a reflection of you know, that extra money that's there in circulation. You know, the reality of it is this has been an extremely depressed market for the last couple, three years. And that, that, uh, that shot in the arm has probably kept some people in business that might, might well not have survived through this. Um, and even with that said, we've dispersed a lot of cow herds during this period of time, uh, a lot. And, uh, we've, we've decreased this cow herd considerably here in the state of Kentucky and surrounding states as well. But I, I don't think you're going to see a lasting impact. You know, the, the culture of the cattle producer is not one of government dependence. And so I, I think this one or two uh, influxes of, of extra money are probably just going to help people improve their operations, improve their overall economic stability, and hopefully keep them in business. Well, let's turn to meatpacking, uh, and there are just four major operations in the country, and I'm wondering if the meatpacking industry needs some diversification. What, what's your opinion on that? Huge, huge topic in the industry right now, and yeah, there's no question. We have, we have both a transparency issue in our fat cattle markets and, and a competition issue in our fat cattle markets. You know, when you've got uh, four major Packers in the United States that control uh, 80-some percent of the, of the slaughter capacity. Two of those entities are foreign-owned, uh, which further compounds the, the issue. And um, we, we certainly have some problems at the upper end of the, of the production system uh, in that meatpacking sector. And, uh, you, you know, more than 80% of the, the cattle that are, are going into packing plants today are, are not being sourced through any system of open price discovery. They're under contract or, you know, other arrangements with feedlots where those prices are set on those cattle out, outside of the open marketplace. And it, and it really, well, it, it trickles back down through the entire industry because those packers are, are one of the few segments of any business that I know of that not only get to set the price for their product going out the door, but they also get to set the price for their inputs coming in the door. It's a pretty good spot to be in. I'd say. Uh, what about the, the rise in recent years of competitive and alternative proteins? What do you feel the beef business needs to do to stay competitive with that? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that we saw during COVID 
if you watched when the meat when the grocery store started emptying out, what what emptied out first? You know, the meat cases were were empty on the first day. Uh, a lot of pictures floating around of of uh, you know the meat case empty, and then the the alternative product sitting there, uh, never out of stock. We have a great product. We have a product that's in great demand, both domestically and in the export markets. I think we have to continue to improve our product and improve the perception of our production process in the eyes of our consumer. We, we can't ever take our eye off that ball. We've got to continue to make steady progress moving forward of elevating not, not only the quality of the product itself, but the perception of that product nutritionally, you know, animal husbandry, all, all of those factors come into play. You know, those those alternative uh, products are certainly a concern of a lot of people here in the meat industry. Personally, I think they're somewhat of a niche market, maybe a large niche market for a growing population of people that, you know, don't want to eat meat for one reason or another. But uh, at our current level of production, boy, it's sure not been difficult to move this product. So we, we certainly have demand. I think we just need to be cognizant of the fact that there is competition out there and continue to do the best we can to put a better product in front of our consumer. Well, Jim, as somebody who's been around the cattle business for a long time, what would you say has changed the most and and why? Well, you, you because of what we just talked about, you're seeing more and more of the marketplace driven by data and information. Mm-hmm. Um, it's become more difficult for the smaller producers to participate uh, in the marketplace. And subsequently, we've lost a lot of our smaller producers that were selling a not necessarily a bad product, but but more of a commodity product into the system. That that was a big part of our business over the years in the in the livestock markets, and we've certainly had to adjust to make ourselves relevant to those larger and larger producers that are more data driven and more information driven and provide value to them in our system. But you know, we we typically are gravitating toward dealing with ever larger producers that are handling more and more cattle across uh, broader geographies and doing it with a lot more technology. So, Jim, how long have you actually been in the cattle business? Uh, well, I mean, I'm 50, uh, f- 56 years old, and I've basically been in the industry in one form or another all of my life. Well, I was just wondering, uh, any, any favorite memories from uh, your time in the business? It's a lifelong thing, I know, but... Anything stand out there? But we, the fire certainly isn't one of them. So <laughs> no, the fire is not. It is certainly a memory, but it's not a good memory. Right, right. Uh, you, you know, as I look back over the years, uh, you know, and, and and you do have to love this business. If you didn't, it it, it you, you couldn't survive. Facing a lot of challenges along the way, and and surviving those challenges, and going on to to grow and be better. The the many many just amazing people that there are in this great industry. Too oftentimes we get hung up on a handful of handful of bad guys out there, but but you know the vast majority of the people that we deal with are are just tremendous salt of the earth, honest people that are really dedicated to putting a good product in front of our consumers and doing good business. And I guess that's the probably the best memory for me is is just getting to know and dealing with uh, all of those really really fine folks. All right, that's Bluegrass Stockyard CEO Jim Akers. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. You bet. Thank you. And I'm Tom Martin, and thanks for listening to us. 
Join us for the rest of this series as we reflect on how the agriculture industry adapted in 2020 and speak with experts on what's in store for agri-food in 2021. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Ag Future wherever you listen to podcasts.